Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Harry Emerson Fosdick. He had been invited to preach before a very intimidating group of people. They were coal miners in West Virginia who were on strike. When he appeared, the individual who had invited him told him, you need to make certain that you catch these men's attention immediately. Because if you don't, this is going to be a long, long night. And these men are known for heckling. And if you don't get them in the palm of your hand right away, they're going to heckle you like crazy. So Fosdick thought through what he was going to do. He actually, in his mind, changed his introduction. And he stood up before those men, and it was far less than quiet. You could hear laughter, people joking and talking with each other. And so his physical presence didn't demand their silence. So Fosdick stood there, and he looked out at this group of men, and he said, God damn, it's hot today. And it just immediately got quiet. I mean, just silence. Some of the men in the crowd, you could just literally see their jaws go. Because here was a minister who had used that word. And then after a slight pause, Fosdick looked at the group of men and said, that's what I heard another man say earlier today. And then Fosdick read for his audience the scripture that we have chosen today. He read from Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, where it says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not leave the one unpunished who takes God's name in vain. And Fosdick went on and he interpreted this passage about the profanity of using God's name in vain. I think for many of us, when it comes to this third commandment of the Ten Commandments, we often, that's what we think about, is that somehow this is about profaning God's name. And perhaps it is. In the Jewish community, however, they understand this commandment slightly different. The focus is on that word, name. You are not supposed to take the name of God in vain. What is the significance of that? Well, in its original context, more than likely, this commandment was talking about individuals who were making senseless oaths to God, using God's name. 
as a way of basically saying, honestly, I'm going to do this. But in time, they begin to think about the ramifications of using God's name. Because today, when we introduce ourselves to each other, we often, my name is, and you disclose that very quickly. In the ancient Near East, to know someone's name and to speak of that name had huge ramifications. To speak someone's name inferred that you were either superior, that you were over them, or at the least, that you were equals. So if you were on the social status level, you were down here, you would not speak the name of someone who was higher than you. That's why in the first story that we find in the Bible of the creation account, it is God who names man. And then it is Adam who names the animals and names the woman. Now, for those of women who are watching us or those who are with us, please understand that the context in which this original writer was writing was one where it was very much a patriarchy. And unfortunately, that's how they saw things, that there were these different social stratuses and women were below men. For that, I apologize. And that's why parents would name their children. What's fascinating, though, is when you look at the Bible, nowhere do human beings give God a name. Nowhere does a writer say, and the people decided to name this deity that. In their minds, that would never happen. Because not only did it represent either a superiority or equality, but to speak someone's name was to infer that you had knowledge of them, that you understood them, you had a grasp on their character, who they were as individuals. That's why in the Jewish community, they chose not to speak God's name. Because that would infer that they knew everything there was to know about God. Even to this day, the only time in the Jewish community, the more orthodox communities, that you will hear the name God mentioned is either in prayer or reading of the Torah. Otherwise, there's silence, which leaves the possibility that God is unknowable. There's uncertainty around God. Unfortunately, today we live in a world where there is a great deal of certainty when it comes to God. Over the last few years, I have heard an abundance of Christians who will tell us what God wants, what God is going to do. This week, as I was flipping through my TV guide, 
I came across the channel TBN, Trinity Broadcast Network, and they have preachers on there. I was listening to this one individual, this one preacher, and he said that when we become more self-reliant on ourselves and not on God, that God will actually send us a difficulty that we have to deal with. That God will somehow make something worse for us. Because by doing that, then we will become reliant on God again. And he spoke with such certainty that this is exactly what God does. I was amazed. And it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or any other religion. Many religions will tell you God's opinion about fashion, what we should or should not wear. Many religions will tell us what kind of food we should eat or not eat and on what days we can eat those foods. Many religions will tell us God's preference when it comes to how we express ourselves sexually. And more and more, we're, we're being told God's political views. What God's policies, what are God's policies and what are not? How we should vote and who we should vote for. It just amazes me that people have that much certainty when it comes to God. Unfortunately, many trees have lost their life in the cause of becoming paper, which ends up in theology books. And these books are stacked within the walls of libraries, and in them they will tell you everything you need to know about God. And if you don't like what one person says, be patient, because eventually you'll find the book that that idea of God will resonate with you. I wonder, I wonder what would happen if we took a position of less certainty when it came to God. Think about this. The ultimate source of the cosmos, the ultimate source or the ultimate force of the universe, a universe that we are continually learning more and more about. What we knew 50 years ago is old school. And what we think we know now, 50 years from now, people may look and scratch their heads and go, how in the world could they believe that? To think the possibility that our minds cannot even grasp the universe, the world that we live in, and yet to have this sense of certitude inside of ourselves that we can speak about God. Human language is limited. 
When you were listening to Brett play the guitar, if I asked you to express to me what emotions you were feeling, you could try. But I dare say that sometimes words become inadequate. They just don't seem to work. Maybe that's what it comes to when we as human beings think about the ultimate source that we call God. In the Jewish community, not only will they not speak the name of God, but also they will, when they write God, they write it the following way that you will see on the screen. G dash D. And that dash contains everything that we don't know about God. St. Augustine said the following. He said, if you understood God, it would not be God. If you understood God, it would not be God. Thomas Aquinas spent a long time, a large part of his life, thinking and contemplating about God. And the conclusion he came to, here it is. Humans are not capable of knowing what God is. Only what God is not. Humans are not capable of knowing what God is, only what God is not. So to know God is to know that we don't know God. Martin Buber, Jewish philosopher and professor who teaches at the university in, I'm sorry, the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. In his class, he has a high regard for those individuals who are atheists. When he was asked about this, he told them, he said, the reality about atheists is that they don't necessarily not believe in the ultimate source of the cosmos. What they don't believe is all the language and the ideas that we have placed upon this entity that we call God. So perhaps, when it comes to God, it is best to be silent. To say as very little as possible. And to relish in the mystique and the mystery of whatever God is. Now that idea may seem very impractical. 
Because for many of us, we're, we grew up or we were exposed to this idea that God can be known. Some of you might even argue and say, wait a minute, Tony, God revealed God's self to us in the Bible. Well, how do we know that? The answer in reply would be, well, it says so in the Bible. Well, who wrote the Bible? The traditional answer is God wrote the Bible through human beings. Well, who said that? Human beings. And so it is humanity that is struggling to try to understand God. And that's maybe, if we're honest, one of the reasons why we have so much difficulty reading parts of the Bible. Because those ideas of God no longer resonate with us in the 21st century. So what if the most we can say about God is we just don't know? I have found in my own life that when I adopted that view of God, it affected me in three different ways that I would like to share with you. Number one, it gave me a deeper understanding of that third commandment. Now, I'm not telling you that this is the meaning that the original writer intended when they pinned those words of the third commandment. But this is what it evoked within me. And I found it expressed in the words of an individual named Harari. And he says the following. Perhaps the deeper meaning of this commandment is that we should never use the name of God to justify our political interest, our economic ambitions, or our personal hatreds. People hate somebody and say, God hates him. People covet a piece of land and say, God wants it for us. The world would be a much better place if we followed the third commandment more devotedly. And so, if you want to wage war on your neighbors and steal their land, leave God out of it and find some other excuse to do it. Maybe that's what that third commandment is telling us is that we take the name, the essence of God in vain and make it empty. That's what the word literally means, to make empty. We make the essence of God empty when we speak with such certainty. The second way that this enhanced my life, this understanding of saying as little as possible out about God, was it created within me a sense of humility.
when I listen to what other people say about God, not always, but I tend to be less critical of them. When I look at other religions and they profess to believe in a God that is foreign to me, I appreciate that more now because that's where they are in their understanding. It created this sense of humility because I don't know. And then last of all, here's the one that really messed my mind up. It changed my understanding of faith. Before, faith for me was this idea that I would pray to God and God would answer my prayer somehow. That was faith. Today, faith and trust is in life itself. That no matter what happens in life, I will have to face it. And either through my own strength or the strength and help in others, I'll be okay. I may not like it, but I can accept it. And by accepting it is where I find a sense of trust. I don't pray to God the way that I used to. I don't ask God to change things or make things happen. Now, if you do, I'm not telling you you're wrong. You, you might be right, and I may be wrong. But I have found a sense of peace in doing that. So then how, if we see God in this way, how might we experience or encounter God? Well, you're going to have to wait just a few moments to hear the answer to that. Because you're going to hear another song. And during this time, I invite you to just reflect upon what you've just heard. See what emotions it evokes within you. And then at the end of that, we'll come back and we'll practice a prayer together, a way of experiencing God as that which we cannot express.
So what is this way that we might be able to experience God if we know nothing about God? The ancients created a type of prayer called centering prayer. I invite you to experience this with me for just one minute. Here's what it will look like. You will close your eyes, you don't have to right now yet, but you will close your eyes and you will create kind of a cocoon around yourself. And in that cocoon in which you exist for this one minute, there is nothing. You allow your mind to grow still. The ancients discovered that our mind wants to continue to race So they chose to use a word to call them back away from those thoughts. For me, the word is very simple, relax. And they would use their breath as the flow. For me, as I breathe in, it's re, and then as I breathe out, lax. And again, it's creating this atmosphere of nothingness, if you would. And the ancients believed that it is in this moment that we experience and encounter the divine. Sometimes it's a conscious awareness, but they had enough faith to believe that if they consciously weren't experiencing anything, that even in their subconscious, something was taking place with the divine. So that's what we're going to practice, either here in person or for those of you watching us. I invite you at this moment to choose a word. And then once you've chosen your word, close your eyes and find a cadence in your breathing that ties in with that word. And then you're going to hear the guitar very quietly play. Then then it will fade slowly into quietness. And allow yourself to focus on that word and your breath. And then after a period of time, the guitar will slowly come back. And in that is your call to come back into awareness. Join with me as we practice this form of centering prayer.
Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at beatitudeschurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.